The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, so glad that you've uh, joined us and are a part of our weekend experience. And uh, we are in this series called Follow Me, and we're talking through the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was thinking about how when uh, my wife, Amy, when she was pregnant with our first son, Hudson, uh, she, we got this book that talks all about what that pregnancy experience is like and is talking about, you know, what to expect and all those details. And I remember learning such fascinating things about the development of a child in the womb. And I remember reading and hearing about how from a very, very early stage, as soon as the baby develops the ability to hear, the baby can start to recognize its mother's voice over and above the voices of everyone else. And you might think, well, in the womb, it's probably pretty quiet, but it's actually very noisy. There's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of things happening internally. But a baby, there's been experiments done that babies respond to that stimuli of having a mother speak and coming out, the, the dads don't have this luxury. We don't have uh, as much of a connection with the child. But eventually, the child does start to recognize the father's voice as well. But I want you to think about that. Because you've probably experienced it before where you may not be physically able to see someone. Whether it's through a phone call or someone is behind you. But you hear their voice and you can recognize them. You know who they are, exactly who they are, because all it takes is hearing a word of their voice and that recognition takes place. And all of a sudden, maybe memories flood your mind or the, the person that you're hearing their voice, who they are starts to ring true in your mind and heart. And what we're going to talk about today is this reality when it comes to God, is that what does it mean for us to really hear the voice of God? What does that mean for us? What does that even look like to hear the voice of God? Because here's what I would say about our world. Our world is, is the noisiest it's ever been. If you think about your life and what life is like for you, I mean, we are surrounded by so many voices. Uh, there are billions of voices on earth, every one of them unique, just like your fingerprint is unique, your voice is unique. But there are cultural voices that are speaking into our lives and there's networks that are speaking into our lives and there's marketing strategists and brands that are speaking a voice in our life and there's so much noise in this information age that we can drive ourselves crazy and we ask ourselves the question how do I know through all of these voices how can I know and recognize which one is actually influencing me And shaping who I am. How do I know which voice is it that I should even be listening to? Uh, I love how one very honest uh, president of, the first president of, of Facebook, he just said in an honest statement after his time there, he said they made it their goal when they created Facebook. They made it their explicit goal to consume as much of your attention as they could possibly consume. That was their goal. And so they designed their software, they designed the way that they're, their uh, platform interacts with users so as to hook you and suck you in for more and more and more content. 
to pump more voices in your ear and to put more noise all around you. And so it's this platform, like so many others, like YouTube, social media platforms, uh, networks, that in this information age, they see our attention and our hearing as a, an incredibly valuable economic asset where they're competing for our ear or they have a message that they're trying to deliver. And so in this information age where we have so many voices, it's now more than ever that we need some clarity. We need to be able to recognize what is it that's shaping me? Which voices in my life are starting to mold the person that I am and the person that I'm becoming? Why is it that I think the way that I think? And why is it that I'm responding in this way, the way I'm responding? What is shaping me as a human being? And in John chapter 10, what happens in this passage, I believe is going to help you to be able to discern the voices that are speaking into your life and shaping you as a person and hopefully give you some wisdom for which voice to listen to in your life. Now, to give you the context of what's happening here in John chapter 10, you've got to know what happened right before this in John chapter 9. In John 9, Jesus heals this formerly blind man. And this formerly blind man uh, was an outcast. He would have been an individual that people would have, uh, would have left aside, would have ignored. And so in John 9, Jesus goes to this man, gets some mud, sticks it on his face. And he says, hey, go wash in this pool, the pool of Siloam. It's a bizarre story. You have to read it. John chapter 9. But after this man is healed, this chaos ensues. People start discovering that this man has been healed and this flurry, this all this conversation starts happening and controversy because people who knew this man when he was blind now see him healed and the group of Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, see all of this taking place and they've got problems with this. You see, all this took place on the Sabbath and in their view, the Pharisees had a very strict rule for how to keep the Sabbath, for how to rest on the Sabbath. And they did not like the fact that this man was healed on the Sabbath. In their view, God would be displeased that someone who was blind would be healed on the Sabbath. And so they come and confront this blind man, start accusing him. And this blind man is basically like, look, listen, here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. So the person who healed me, this person who, who came into my life today that told me with his voice, I couldn't see where he went because I couldn't see at the time. All I know is he has made me well and made me whole. So after that, the Pharisees, they continue. They're upset. They're not cool with how this blind man responded. And they even start accusing the blind man's parents. It's this whole whirlwind of events that take place. And then the Pharisees get in a conversation with Jesus. They hear Jesus welcome this blind man in and Jesus has this moment with the blind man where he reveals who he is and the blind man worships Jesus. The Pharisees seeing this, they object. They are not cool with you worshiping someone they see is just human. Jesus, like that's not cool. Worship is reserved for God alone. What are you doing? You healed on the Sabbath. Clearly this man cannot be from God. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees' objections by giving them this discourse, by describing himself as the good shepherd. And he talks about how he's this shepherd and his people are his sheep. And he's using this rich Old Testament imagery all throughout the Hebrew scriptures that's used where God is described as a shepherd who cares for his sheep 
and who leads his sheep and provides for his sheep. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I care for my sheep. And it's in that context that this conversation takes place, starting in verse 22. I want you to see this. John chapter 10, verse 22. Here's what it says. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. You, you would know that as Hanukkah. So in the wintertime, it says. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. All right, here's what's happening. Jesus is in the temple. He uh, recently had healed this blind man. They're there. It's a feast. So Jerusalem is probably packed and crowded. And this group of Jewish people come up to Jesus who uh, is there in the temple. And he's confronted by them. And they ask him this really interesting question. They say, hey, Jesus, stop keeping us in suspense. Tell us, like for real. Shoot straight with us. Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one, the Christ? Now, just to familiarize ourselves with that term, in the time period that Jesus is, is living and operating in Jerusalem at this time period, there is this heightened expectation of a coming Messiah. I mean, the people had been promised generation after generation that a Messiah was coming, an anointed one, a human deliverer that God would send into the world who would rule and reign and bring about the kingdom of God on earth. And this promised Messiah that they were waiting for and looking for in their mind would look like a military hero who would overthrow the Roman government that was occupying them. See, the Jews were subjects to Rome and they were hoping that Messiah would come overthrow the Roman occupation, start a revolt and reestablish Israel as a world superpower. So when they come to Jesus and say, hey, just tell us plainly, are you the Christ? That is a loaded question. For Jesus to say, yes, I am the Messiah outright in public in that type of setting would have elicited quite the response. And also we know from all throughout John's gospel, Jesus is sensitive to this. And he is the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah that they have in their minds, the mold that they've made for the Messiah. He's come to bring about the kingdom of God in a way that breaks all their categories. So verse 24, 23 through 24, Jesus is asked this question. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're not honestly asking this. We, find out in, we found out in chapter 9 that if anyone confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, they'd be kicked out, excommunicated. They'd be removed from the synagogue. And so because of that, we know these, these, they're not asking because they honestly want to know the answer to this question. No, they're asking this to try and get Jesus in trouble. So they've cornered him. And here's how Jesus responds. Look at verse 25. It says this, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not a part of my flock. Now these words that he offers here in John 10, 25 through 26, where he says, I told you already. And more than that, the works that I've done reveal who it is precisely that I am. Jesus is telling them, listen, you're asking me this question, but it should be plain to you. My works, the things that I've done, you see this, even the healing of the blind man isn't the only thing that Jesus has done up to this point in his ministry. There's a buzz around Jesus. 
People are starting to spread rumors thinking, might this be the Messiah? Crowds are flocking to Jesus. There's this stir that's caused because of his presence there in Jerusalem. And so Jesus responds and says, listen, it's plain. I've told you who I am, but you do not believe me. And here's the reason why he says, you are not a part of my flock. You're not one of my sheep. That's why you don't believe. Now, here's what I want you to note for a moment. I, I know several people in my life and uh, friends of mine, many conversations I've had where they have this response. They say, you know, I would believe in Jesus if I just had more evidence. Like I, I just need to like have more proof that he is who he says he is. Like, I, I just struggle believing all that Christians believe about Jesus. And I, I think that's fair. I, I think that there's something to that that I resonate with. Because Jesus gave evidence of who he was. Jesus showed signs of what he was going to do and revealed his identity by what he did. However, notice here in this passage, these individuals saw what Jesus did. They got evidence. In John chapter 11, there's a group of people who are going to see Jesus raise someone up from the dead, the ultimate sign. And yet they're still not going to believe. So here's what I, I just want to introduce to you. Those of you who maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, here's what I will share with you. What's going to bring you over the line of faith to truly trust in Jesus is not going to be this airtight argument that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. What's going to bring you to that place of faith in Jesus is not going to be some evidence or this miraculous sign from heaven. That's probably not what's going to bring you to faith in Jesus. No, something else will. Keep reading. Look with me in verse 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So, Jesus lays out for us what it means to be one of his flock, to be a sheep in his pasture. He says this about his sheep. He says, those who are my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them. I have this knowledge of them. That word for knowledge there isn't just kind of like, oh yeah, I know about them. No, there's this intimate knowledge. There's a depth of knowledge. I know my sheep and they follow me. And Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life. That idea of eternal life is so important throughout the gospel of John. It describes life as God intended. Life flourishing in God's design. Life that is full and abundant. Life that is full of joy and peace. Life forever with God that begins now. Jesus says, I give to my sheep eternal life. And then he says, no one is able to snatch my sheep out of my hand. I've got them firmly and no one can come and mess with my sheep because I have them. And then on top of that, my father, my father who's in heaven, who has given these sheep to me in the first place, no one can snatch you from his hand either. And then he says, I and the father are one. And that statement right there, I and the Father are one is the statement that sets this group of individuals off. You see, because Jesus here is going above and beyond claiming that he's the Messiah, though he is. 
Jesus, by saying, I and the Father are one, look at their response. Look at the response in verse 31. To them hearing Jesus say, I and the Father are one. It says in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And then later on they say, here's the reason, because you're making yourself equal with God. So here in this passage, Jesus is not denying that he's the Messiah, but he's also not giving into their trap to try and all of a sudden cause this unnecessary stir when Jesus had in mind his mission that God had given him on this earth. See, in this passage, Jesus reveals himself as the divine Messiah. As God himself who has come in the flesh, Jesus is divine. He is fully God and he's also fully man. And so he's the divine Messiah, the divine anointed one. The one who has always existed and has entered into the human story in the person of Jesus. And he comes in and he reveals himself and he's on this mission that God had promised long ago that he would engage in. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I have my sheep. I'm a good shepherd. I take care of them. And so what's happening here in this passage? What is all of this about? Well, I want you to, for a moment, just think about the way in which the metaphor that Jesus uses to describe his relationship with his people. He uses the relationship of a shepherd with his sheep. The relationship that a sheep would have with their shepherd. Now think about that for a moment. The Messiah, the, the promised one that they were looking to, they, they were thinking of, you know, some superhero military conquering hero. That's their framework. And Jesus comes and says and uses a, an Old Testament imagery that's familiar to them. He says, you know, I, I'm a shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And here's what a shepherd would do just to speak about literally what shepherds do. Uh, that's very unfamiliar to us. Maybe you've never come across what a shepherd actually does with their sheep. But a shepherd essentially does this. They provide for the direction, the nourishment, and for the security of their sheep. That's a shepherd's job. Shepherd provides for the direction, the nourishment, and the security of their sheep. So direction. A shepherd says, hey sheep, it's time to go, and they go. The shepherd directs where they need to go next, where they should travel to. A lot of times they do that for the sake of nourishment. So the shepherd might give them a direction to start heading in because there's pasture over here or there's a stream of water over there that they need to get to to take care of the sheep. It's the shepherd's job to direct them in that way and the shepherd also provides security. Living out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, wolves could come and prey on sheep. Sheep were easy targets and so it's a shepherd's job to fight off any creature, any predator that's trying to take advantage of or damage and kill the sheep. This is what a shepherd does. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who has come for my sheep. And so follow this. Jesus invites us as human beings into a sheep shepherd type relationship with God. Where he is our shepherd who provides direction. Where he's the shepherd who says, hey, I want you going in this direction. And so we as his sheep go in that direction. 
Where he as our shepherd says, hey, here's what will provide nourishment for your soul. Come here and feed on this. Take this into your body. This will be helpful for your life. Where our shepherd says to us, let me keep you secure and fight off the enemies that are trying to prey upon you. Jesus invites us into that. Now, if you think about this analogy, this metaphor even deeper, uh, I mean, sheep are just utterly dependent on their shepherd. Uh, they, they are easy targets for predators. So they're, they're so dependent on following the direction of their shepherd. And maybe to you, like the idea of you being a sheep following a shepherd, maybe to you that, that kind of just sounds like not fun. I mean, who, who wants to do that? To just follow the direction of whatever someone else, is, else says? I mean, I feel like the anthem of 2020 of, of our current culture is I want to do me. I'm going to do me, what I want to do in my life. I'll run my life. You do you. I'll do me. We'll be good. What's true for you might be true for you, but that's not true for me. I'll run my life. I mean, that's the anthem. And so for someone to say, hey, if you want a relationship with God, if you want eternal life, life that's thriving and full, then what God is inviting you into is to be a sheep that listens to the voice of the shepherd. Man, to you, that might sound just not fun. But what I would say back to you is that all just depends on who the shepherd is. See, earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and here's how I define what it means to be the good shepherd. I I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus in John 10 reminds them of what his mission was. Jesus would go on to a cross where he would die and take on the punishment that our sin deserves, giving his life for his people, for his sheep. So the shepherd that, yes, is running our lives and saying, go here, don't go there. That's saying, I want this for you, but I don't want that for you. This shepherd who's directing our life is also the one who's the lover of our souls, who loves you more than anyone else who is for you, who knows what's best for you. The other thing about being a sheep is a sheep doesn't have the perspective that a shepherd has. I mean, just think quite literally. Sheep, I mean, their heads are down. They're grazing. And they're oftentimes just surrounded on all sides by wool. I mean, they've got sheep everywhere all around them. Their perspective is limited. They can't see quite literally. But their shepherd has a different perspective. The shepherd can see beyond what the sheep can see. Not only that the shepherd has an intellectual knowledge that the sheep is incapable of having. Jesus is saying to us, I'm inviting you into to become my sheep. To trust my perspective is better than your perspective. You don't have to be your own shepherd because you're a sheep. Come into my fold. Trust me as your good shepherd. This is what Jesus invites us into. Now sheep, like I said, they they aren't the smartest creatures. And sometimes they get a bad rap for being dumb. And in in some ways, they're not the smartest uh, animal in the animal kingdom. But something that is unique about sheep is that they actually have this uncanny ability to recognize their shepherd's voice. A sheep, and I'm talking like literally a sheep, bad sheep. A sheep can distinguish between the voice of a stranger and the voice of their shepherd. So when a sheep is hearing all these voices and there's a lot of noise and maybe there's more sheep baying all around them, they can hear all that. And if a stranger starts to call towards them, they can distinguish and know, hey, that's not for me. That call isn't mine. But if they hear their shepherd, they're able to tune into that voice and follow the direction of their shepherd. 
Now you see where I'm going with this. This is what Jesus invites us into. You see, if we're going to follow Jesus as his sheep, what's essential and what Jesus points to right here in John chapter 10, the defining characteristic of what it means to be a sheep in Jesus' pasture, in Jesus' flock, what it means to be a sheep, a, a, a follower of Jesus, is that you hear his voice and that you can distinguish when the good shepherd is talking to you and when a stranger is talking to you. And here's where I want to just bring up what we st- where we started. We live in a world that has so many voices. And all of these voices are blaring at our, in our ears at high volume. And so how in our world that's full of noise, where everyone has an opinion and everyone has an agenda, how can we recognize the shepherd's voice? So here's what I want to give you. I want to give you one way you can know how you are operating in and following the voice of the shepherd. This passage right here in John 10 gives us an indicator. Something that's a helpful diagnostic to see. Am I right now, am I following the voice of the shepherd or have some other voices hijacked the way I'm operating in my life? And here it is. I want you to write this down. Is that when we are following the voice of the good shepherd, the good shepherd's voice brings security to the soul. The good shepherd's voice. Here's how you know an indicator that you're following the good shepherd is that there's this security and rest and peace in your soul. See, in John chapter 10, Jesus, after he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life. He goes into this, what seems like it's like a tangent. It almost seems unrelated. But he goes on to say, here's what you need to know about my sheep. No one can snatch them out of my hand. They're secure. They don't need to try and get a, uh, prove themselves. They don't need to try and earn their way up. Like, no, no, no. They, they're secure. They're in my hand. Nothing they can do or anyone else can do can separate them from my hand. And if that's not enough, my father has them in his hands as well. And he's holding to them, holding onto them and no one can snatch them from his hand. And if that's not enough, by the way, I and the father are one. So the good shepherd brings security to his sheep. And so this doesn't mean that the good shepherd following his voice means that it brings ease or comfort. That life will just all of a sudden be, you know, a dream. What it does mean that the ruling principle, the voice that's leading us and guiding us, breathes security, breathes this sense of shalom, peace, joy, as we follow his voice. You know, in the world of 2020, in what we're navigating through right now as a culture, there are so many other voices that are competing for our attention. And I think there's two big indicators that I just want to lay before you that might help you identify and diagnose if you've stopped listening to the voice of the shepherd. Or maybe not just stop listening, maybe you've just turned the volume of the shepherd's voice down and some other voices are drowning his voice out. Here are the two indicators. The first one I want to give you is the, the indicator of fear. If you right now would just in an honest moment of self-reflection say, right now my life is dominated by fear. I'm afraid about 
the decision I have to make. I'm afraid about my future. I'm afraid about whether or not I'm ever going to be in a relationship with this person or if the current relationship I'm in right now is going to all collapse and be all over. I'm afraid and I'm ruled by fear of this election and what's going to take place of which party is going to be in power. I'm in fear of this or that. Now, having those, those reactions of fear is a normal human response. I mean, it, it is. It's a part of life where, where we're, we respond to the things around us. But here's my question is, are you being ruled by and captivated by fear? Is fear the defining characteristic of how you're operating in life? Are you consumed with anxiety over what might take place? Over where you're going and what's wrong? Because if fear is the dominant characteristic, then I, I would just offer to you, listen more to the shepherd who says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. Listen to the voice of the shepherd who in the midst of a storm calls out to the waters, peace be still. Who says to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Who says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Who in the midst of all the circumstances we're in, offers us a word of peace. The shepherd, he, he invites you into security. He invites you not to give in to fear. But he has this perfect love that's going to cast that fear out. And so I just offered you, if you feel yourself being dominated by and ruled by fear then there might be some voices that you're listening to in your life. There might be some networks you're listening to. There might be some websites you're reading. There might be some profiles that are dominating your social media accounts. There might be these YouTube algorithms that are feeding you content that is instilling and stoking fear in your life. And the shepherd is here calling you and saying, listen, I, I know that this world is broken and flawed. I know that you have reason to wonder about your future. But listen, I've got you in my hand. The shepherd's calling you into that security and rest. The other dominant trait that I think is just so present right now in this moment, in addition to fear, is shame. If right now you would say my life is characterized by shame, there's this shame that is just, I feel in my life, I feel this condemnation. I feel like I... I don't just know that I've, I've got things in my life that I need to work on. All of us do. The, the Bible says all of us have fallen short of God's glory. We all need a savior. But if there is shame breathed in your life where now you internalize that and view yourself as worthless, view yourself as unlovable, view yourself as someone that no one, let alone definitely not even God would care for you that I would just offer to you, listen, there might be some voices in your life that are too loud, that are dropping that idea because your shepherd does not speak the voice of shame. That's not his language. The shepherd offers you the security and eternal life that comes through faith in him. The shepherd offers you an identity that you don't have to compete for or earn or prove to others about. He offers you the identity, son or daughter of God. He offers you the identity, beloved child of God. This is what he offers you. When the voice of the shepherd comes, the, sh the shepherd speaks a word of grace to our shame. A word of love and compassion and forgiveness and redemption to our shame. 
And so if that's the, the dominant, is that's what's ruling your life of how you view yourself and view others, there might be some sources that you're plugged into that you need to turn down that volume, mute that station, whatever you need to do to get away from that voice and instead immerse yourself in the voice of the shepherd. You know, as this idea of hearing God's voice, hearing the shepherd speak, I, I, I know and I recognize, you know, it, it might be nice to just like hear God literally speak. You know, like God, why can't you just like literally, why can't I literally hear the voice of my shepherd out loud, audibly? And you know what? Some, sometimes there are some who have experienced something like that. I'll be honest with you. I've never heard Jesus, my good shepherd, audibly say something to me. There are some who, who have. That's not my story. So what does it look like to hear the good shepherd? Well, I, I want you for a moment, humor me, uh, think about those individuals who, whether you've been to like a museum or seen this on a television show, just think of those people who impersonate historical figures. And these are individuals, they dress up like the historical figure and they uh, are so well read on that person's life. So I think I remember one time seeing someone who was like a founding father. And uh, we were in Washington, D.C., someone dressed up and they knew all sorts of facts about this person's life. You could ask them, hey, how's your aunt, you know, how's your aunt doing? And then they'll tell you, oh, you know, my aunt Betty is great or whatever. They just know their life. They've immersed themselves in that person. And so you, you talk to them and they respond to you like they really are that person who lived in the 1700s as that historical figure because they've read their words and seen their speeches and studied how they responded in certain situations and how they responded to similar questions. And by immersing themselves in that person and their life, they're able then to then speak like that person would speak. So here's where I'm getting at. The way that we get in tune with the voice of our shepherd is like a sheep would get in tune with the voice of their shepherd. It's time with him. See, God has given us in his word, and especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this revealing of who Jesus is all throughout the Bible, but a great place to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels that give us the life of Jesus, that show us how the good shepherd responded when he was persecuted, how he responded to stress, how he responded to fear, what he taught about all of these things. And if we can immerse ourselves in him and give our lives to studying what he taught and what he said and how he prayed and how he forgave, how he led others, how he served, if we can immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus, the road of discipleship, of following after our shepherd, what that then does is it makes us increasingly like him. To where we start to recognize, wait a minute, that's not the voice of my shepherd. Well, I feel myself creeping into shame and condemnation when the voice of my shepherd says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When I feel that sense of fear, I, I remember the voice of the shepherd who says, greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. That the voice of fear has no power over me. And so what I want to invite you into is to immerse yourself all the more deeply in the person of Jesus. To give your life to following him, to looking at This is why we're so passionate at City Rev about studying the scripture, about you starting the journey of reading the Bible on your own.
that our engagement with the scripture, that our engagement with Jesus wouldn't just be one hour a week for a message, but that we would be daily immersing ourselves in who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I I just want to ask you plainly, is there maybe something in your life that the volume of that voice needs to come down or maybe even needs to be muted? And with that space that you create, how can you replace that with the voice of your shepherd? I want to encourage you this week to be in tune with the voice of the shepherd. Spend time with him. Listen for his voice. Don't allow all the noise to let you miss what the shepherd might be speaking to you right now. He has a word of peace, a word of security. You know, there's a, A moment in Luke chapter 15 where Jesus uses a similar imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. And in Luke 15, Jesus is describing what God is like. And again, he uses this shepherd. He says, this shepherd, suppose he has a hundred sheep. And let's say one of those sheep is lost. He says, this shepherd will leave the 99 sheep and go after the one. What is God like? He's he's a God who will leave the 99 to go after you. He's a shepherd who will seek and save that which is lost. He's a shepherd who will lay down his life for you, for the one. And so you might be here and you've never believed in Jesus. You've never had that moment where for the first time, you recognize your shepherd's calling you. And for the first time you hear his voice or he speaks to you and you realize, oh my, that's my shepherd. I want to follow him. I want him to rule my life. I want him to tell me where to go. I want him to tell me who I really am. I want him to be the one who provides for me. I want him to be the one who provides me security. I want to give you that opportunity right now. It involves faith. A simple moment where you trust that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the one who invites you into eternal life by trusting in him. That he died for you on the cross. He dealt with your guilt and your shame. It's been paid for. And he rose from the dead. I want to invite you into that now. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that Jesus, you are our good shepherd. And we're your sheep. If you right now, where you're at, want to put your trust in Jesus. You want to respond to the voice of your shepherd for the first time. Then right there where you are, you just say this to God. It's just this overflow of your heart, say, God, today I trust you. Jesus, today I recognize you're calling me. You're calling me to be your sheep, to trust you with every area of my life. So I give up control and I say, you're my shepherd. I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead. Father, we pray that those who just in this moment put their trust in you, that their their heart would just be set off with joy and recognizing they've come to know the Savior of their souls. 
the one who loves them and lays their life down for them. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, if that was you, if you put your trust in Jesus in that moment, I want to invite you to go right now on your browser. Go to cityrev.org slash faith. cityrev.org slash faith. That, that small form there will take you seconds to fill out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to mail you a Bible. We're going to send it to you so that you can immerse yourself in the words of your good shepherd so you can hear his voice. He wants to speak to you. And we'd love to celebrate this moment in your life. So we want to put this in the mail, send it to you and help you in this journey of following Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.